Hey, y'all. I am so glad that y'all are here with us again. And we have a studio audience that we're going to be hearing from as well today. Let me hear it. Studio. More of a congregation. And today we are talking about time. And in fact, on that theme of time, by the way, I heard that the, year, the word of the year in 2020, the craziest, uh, the craziest year ever, the word is going to be sesh, I think. Don't y'all think? That's everyone's favorite word, right? Oh, it's unanimous here. You wouldn't even believe how excited they are about the word sesh. And that just is our, our, our language for a new session of Connect Groups, which, by the way, if you're not in a Connect Group, you should be signing up for a Connect Group today. Now, we are talking about time today in probably one of the most famous passages of the Bible, famous because it's the only rock song that I know of that is verbatim from the Bible, the entire song. And so uh, you have to unfortunately be over 40 to even know what I'm talking about, most likely. But um, today we're talking about time. And I was thinking about how even though I'm a young 43, and I mean that, a young 43, I still kind of mourn some of the things that, that we don't get to do anymore. I mean, there are so many things that my kids just will never experience. We were talking a little bit about it, and I would love for you uh, to put some of your things that you miss that kids won't get to experience anymore. To me, there was no better, the thing I think, I, one of the things I miss the most is there's no better, better way or wetter way to tell someone you care about by rather than giving them a mixtape. If you gave somebody a mixtape back in the day, that was a sure way that that girl was at least going to kind of give you a twinkle in her eye because that showed you took the, not only did you make a playlist, that's just the start of it. That's cheating if all you do is a playlist. We used to have to sit down with a dual cassette. We had to go buy blank cassettes and we had to either wait for that song to come on or you had to go buy the tape and then you would have to find the right play. You would have to push and, and, and it was just a lot of effort to let that girl know how much that she meant to you. And we don't have that anymore. Now it's just you just email or I guess you don't even email. You just text them, airdrop, I don't know even what they do, uh, a playlist. And that's, that's just you miss something. We don't get to uh, dial in anymore and, and, and hope that we connect. We're just connected when we get in. Um, are there any other things y'all can think of that you miss from when you were growing up that people won't? And I, wanna, I want y'all to type also what you miss. Mike had a good one. He said earlier, the 35-foot cords on a phone. Yeah, the kitchen phone in which was kind of the, everyone would use the kitchen phone, but at, at about, everybody knew at about uh, eight or nine, it went to the teenage girl in the house and just no one else gets to use the phone. And then when it was time for her to get off the phone, there'd be a click in, get off the phone, and then, and then you have to wait and make sure that you hear another click, otherwise you know your little brother is listening in or somebody's listening in. All these things we miss because time just keeps rolling and moving on. And so today, we're going to talk about time looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, remember this book of Ecclesiastes, there is a main character named the Koheleth, or the preacher. And this preacher is a Solomon-like character. He is definitely bringing Solomon, King Solomon, the richest, most powerful man ever uh, to, to live at this time. He is definitely bringing him to, to mind. And when we think about Solomon, one of the things we think about is wisdom. But we need to understand this book, Ecclesiastes, was written uh, to, to Jewish people, even though you don't have to be a Jew to understand it. It doesn't talk about the historical events like the Exodus. Any human can understand this book. 
But one of the, the interesting things is that they assume, if you're reading Ecclesiastes, there is an assumption by the writer of Ecclesiastes that you understand some things about God, some things about Judaism, things about their beliefs. And so before I get into the text, I want to read for you a couple of other biblical texts because when we talk about how they think about time, if you just read Ecclesiastes, remember sometimes we're under the sun. Sometimes we're not talking uh, about um, with God in mind, and that's a, a literary device he's using. But he knows that if you are reading this book, you should at least understand what we mean by God. So let's read Isaiah chapter 48, verse 3. It says this. I don't even know if this will be on the screen. It might be on the screen. Uh, the former things I declare of old, they went out of my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. This is Isaiah 46 now. Isaiah 46 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times to not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish my purpose. The thing we need to understand about God is that when we think about time, the Bible is clear. There is an author of time. There is someone who not only knows the beginning and knows the end, the things that have already happened in ancient days and the things that are going to happen and haven't happened yet. There is someone who is not just knows those, but is writing those things. And in fact, if you look at all of the things the Old Testament tells us about the belief in God, he's the, the owner of, of the cattle on a thousand hills are his. Everything in this world, you cannot give God anything. He owns it all. When it comes to uh, thinking about time, there's not a, a hair that will fall to the ground that God does not know. It says he calls the bird of the prey to hunt. He, said he calls uh, men from far places to come and sell their goods in other places. God is in control and all-powerful. And so when we talk about time, we need to have the right attitude about who God is. There's this understanding that this isn't just this, this God from far away when we think about God, but this is a, a powerful God who not one uh, jot or tittle is, is missing from his knowledge of what is happening. So with that in mind, let's start in to this, uh, this message today. And chapter 3, some people will tell you chapter 3 should be broken up and that it's kind of, uh, it doesn't flow well. I disagree. In fact, today we're going to preach all through, all 22 verses. And I want to show you kind of a, a theme, I think, that goes through chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. And it starts off with a, with a very famous poem. Uh, it's a song by the birds, some people would say, but it's actually uh, by, from Ecclesiastes. And what I want you to get from these first eight verses is this. I want you to understand that God controls the seasons. And this is a big point of where we're going, but God controls the seasons. It says this, for everything there is a season. And, and by the way, if you want to hum this, no one's there. So as long as you're not in studio singing, you, you know, at home, feel free to hum, sing this. Uh, a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. 
a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Now, here's what I want you to understand is that many of us read that and we think, man, it's just so random. We almost look at time as if it's just waves crashing on a shore and they just keep coming at us and keep coming at us. And it almost seems random. And some of us live our life as if these seasons are just, we, they're just coming at us, that no one's controlling them, that they're just hitting us in the face. And so some of us really struggle with difficult times because we feel like life just keeps hitting us in the faith, or face. Have you ever had that? Have you ever felt like that's where it just feels like, man, these, these, this bad time after bad time after bad time. But what I want you to see is there is a definite perspective here that you get to choose. You see, in Ecclesiastes, we've been vacillating between two ideas. One is under the sun. Under the sun, there is no God. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to try to figure out the meaning of life under the sun. And then sometimes he'll go into, but if we go above the sun, if we bring God into the picture, if we think about God, well, then that changes a lot of things. For example, we've been talking about hevel and vanity. Well, you remember, if, if God isn't there, everything's hevel. Everything is just a mist. It goes away. But if God exists, well, it's a gift, we said. And so you can enjoy your life knowing that there's more coming. And so this idea of going from under the sun to over the sun, to looking to God, to bringing God into the equation is a major theme in Ecclesiastes. You see, when we look at the seasons and we say to ourselves, God is in control of these seasons, it changes the way we interact with the seasons. If God is in control, then I don't own my time. I don't control my time. All I can do is discern his times. I'm going to say that again. If God is in control of the seasons, then I am not in control of the seasons. That means that it's not my job to try to control things. It's my job to discern things. So I don't get to discern when the harvest comes. I don't get to discern. I mean, I don't get to decide when the harvest comes. I have to discern it. I don't get to decide, you know, when I'm going to get angry. I don't, I don't, we think we do. But we don't. God is in control. I don't decide when somebody's, when I'm going to be born. I don't get to decide those things, but everything can be discerned. We can look at that the weather and we can say, you know what, the time to plant is now. We didn't decide it, but we discerned it. And this is an important thing for a Christ follower to know is that God is in control and our job isn't to control things. If you think about the way Jesus lived his life, you should, you should read through the life of Jesus and think about how he talked about time. He would say things like the first time his mother came and said, hey, can you do a miracle? I've seen you do them at home, the little tricks on the side. Can you do something big for us? We need some more wine. And, and Jesus, what did he say? Do you all remember? He said, my time has not yet come. He says, it's not my time. He was discerning. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he comes and he says, the time is now. The, the time is now for the kingdom to be fulfilled. And he's discerning. It's time for me to start preaching. It's time for me to start going. And so he says, hey, repent and believe in the gospel. And, and, and there are even times at the end of his life where he begins to, to talk about time in a very interesting way. There's one in John chapter 12, and this is before the Lord's Supper. He gets his disciples around. There are a few other people, and this is what he says. He says, now my soul is troubled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, no, sorry, that's the, the last one. He says, my soul is troubled. He says, 
Father, save me from this hour. Is that what I should ask? And then he says this. He says, it's this purpose that I have come to this hour. And he has this kind of perspective that his whole life's been going towards this one moment that's going to meet at the cross. But when Jesus looks about time, he doesn't look as if, man, I've just had a series of bad days, a series of good days. Instead, he says, all of these things that have happened are seasons, and they've been going towards this one appointed day that God has for me. You see, time is a stewardship. It is not owned by us. And one of the first things we have to do is realize that you are not in control of your time. Now, you may say, yeah, I understand that. I, I've, I've read the poem and all this. But how many of you plan your days and years alike? Now, what I mean by that is I think that it's a good thing to plan your day. You should sit down and try to be productive in your day. You should try to get some things done in your day. Uh, there's, a, there's a great quote by Eisenhower. Eisenhower says that uh, plans are meaningless, but planning is essential. And I think that's a great idea, a great, a great way to think about it, that it's a good idea to make plans. And so every day, hopefully you have an idea of how the day's going to go. But how many of us plan our year as if, hey, let me plan all the things I'm going to accomplish. I'm in control of this whole year. I'm going to plan everything. Almost all of us, when you sit down and you decide what you're going to do for the year, look at your upcoming year, you plan the good stuff, right? You plan the, you're in control, so you plan, a, none of us said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan out, I think in May, I'm probably going to lose my job, I'll probably, I'll lose my job in May, maybe I'll, you know, Aunt Griselda, she's going to die in June, no, no, I'll pencil that in, maybe we'll move her and she can die in, in August or something like that. You know, none of us plan the bad things when it comes to long term, we act like we are in control. That's one of the greatest things about 2020 is it's at least shown us one thing, right? We are not in control of near what we think. But even in a pandemic, even if right now you think, man, this is, this is the worst time that it's just so random, there's nothing, I will tell you the job that we have, the job you have when you are in a bad season is not to throw up your hands and say, man, life just hates me, life's coming at me. It's to recognize there is always a season coming after that. Our job is to discern the next season. One of the things in this church, we're trying to discern, when is this, you know, we, we buckle down for the pandemic, but we're kind of discerning, hey, it's, it's time for us to start meeting again. It's time for us to, to open things back up in this church and begin seeing faces. But it's a discerning thing. We don't control it. I wish we did. But we don't. And we have to say, I'm going to trust. So my job is to be ready for the transition. There's nothing more frustrating if you've ever, uh, maybe you've gotten hurt, maybe you lost someone you loved. There's nothing more uh, frustrating than to have somebody else try to tell you, you need to move transit, you need to, trans you need to get past this, you need to move past it. But there's also, you've, you've met people before that for years and years were stuck and couldn't move forward. And, you, and one of the things they're missing is they need to understand that God is going to bring them a new season. And even the worst moments of our life, God is going to bring a new season. So that's going to bring to uh, two things I want to show us about life in the following verses. So God is in control of our lives. He can, he's in control of all the time that makes up our life. So, so there's, there's two things we need to know about life. The first one is this, is that life is a gift. Life is a gift. Verse 9 says, What gain has the worker from his toil? 
I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Understand the only way that's possible, that, anything, that everything can be beautiful, is if he does it, if he makes it. And, and let me just uh, kind of explain this. You see, many of us have been through seasons that we would say are ugly seasons. Have you been through an ugly season? If you've been through an ugly season where you're like, oh man, this is an ugly season. That means, what you mean is, I had plans and they didn't go the way I planned it. And so it became ugly. For I'll tell you, um, my, uh, my oldest child, Clayton, who, by the way, is running uh, sound and all that today. Good job. Y'all give Clayton some praise hands. Yeah. Now, he was diagnosed when he was about 10 years old uh, of um, diabetes. And how much? 11. Sorry. I've got my uh, fact checkers here. We're, we're on things here. We got fact checkers, a.k.a. my wife. Now, we are, uh, when we had this moment when he was 11 years old, though, that I would consider an ugly season. He was diagnosed with diabetes, and which means he had this disease thrust on him in which every single day for the rest of his life, his mom and dad are going to go to bed praying for him and worried if he's going to wake up. And he's going to have to be a little more mature, a little more diligent than the average kid has to be. It was an ugly season. I would not call that beautiful. And, and I'm not only the only one. You know, my, my brother and uh, sister-in-law, Rachel and Jeremy, they've gone through the same thing with their son, Noah. Many of you guys have been through it. I think right now we've got parents that have seen hard days for their kids. We've seen the Collinses and Luke. That was a, an ugly season, maybe they'd say. We, I, I remember uh, the Zoutendams. Y'all have had this moment too. There are many people that have had moments like this, but there's this moment that I want to, and you, you've been through similar things like this. There's this moment when you're in this ugly season and you're like, why is this happening? I didn't plan this. I didn't want this. But then as you see your, your child begin to overcome something that no one else has happened to overcome and they, they begin to just break through. And you know, that's a big thing. Like I remember when Clayton uh, would, would dose himself and he would, we would come over, you know, in a panic of your low and he would have already taken care. And I just remember he just kind of smiled. He would, and there's just this moment of beauty where I began to step back and say, okay, God, you're maturing him. You're doing something, and it's beautiful the way. I, I will tell you, when we were at the last church in the park, and I saw Lucas Collins, he was over there holding, he was just, I'm never going to do that again. But he was, <laughs> he was worshiping, he was worshiping, and it was the most beautiful thing I've seen, because I know we've seen it just having, we've seen those moments where our kids break through when they do something that we would have never chosen it, but we see the beauty breaking through. That's what God does. When we see God's perspective, we see, you know what, God is doing something. He seems from the beginning to the end, and he knows what he's doing. But we ride these waves because we can't see what he's doing. It says this, look, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what is done from beginning to end. You know, Men and women, we just have this why, why, why mentality. We sound like a, a three or four year old or a six year old. I've got a six year old, and my record right now is three and a half whys before I just go crazy. I don't know what your personal record is, but three and a half is as far as I can get. Because there's just this thing where we want to know why, 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 why. 
But if you think about the fact, I'm, I'm 43, young 43, um, but God is infinite. He is infinite. He's seen from the beginning to end. You know, I watched some sporting events this morning because I went to bed early, and it's different when you wake up and you already know who won the game. And so I watched these, and it wasn't near as exciting, but I also didn't ride these highs and lows because I already knew how it ended. I already knew what was going on. That's how God sees our lives. He already understands what he's doing. He has the power to do it. And so when we fully begin to understand how God is in control of our time and that this life becomes a gift. And so what Solomon's doing here is he's pulling us out from under the sun. You know, I remember after uh, September 11th, which many people may not uh, realize, uh, that was a huge day. If you were alive during that time, I mean, you remember where you were, you remember everything going on. I went to my godmother um, a few days after this because I was just, I mean, we thought at that time that we were never going to go into a grocery store again without fearing for our lives. That's how real the fear was. And I asked my uh, godmother and she said, you know, this reminds me a lot of Pearl Harbor. And she was able to just pull us back so far to say, this isn't new. This isn't something that We've been through things like this before, and that perspective just really comforted me in in a big way. But he says, he has put eternity in our hearts, and this is a clue. Every single person I've ever met has some sort of longing for not just eternity, that the life is going to be more than just this, but that there's this, I want to leave a mark, I want to make an impact, I want some sort of legacy. And, and that's a clue is what Solomon's saying. That's a clue that, that somebody put that there. And so when we begin to look at time, we need to see some of these longings and frustrations with time going so quick. That's a longing that God has put in our hearts. I perceive that there is nothing better than for them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. For there, everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil, his work it is, because it is God's gift to man. Your life is a gift. You need to understand, God is in control of your seasons. So you have to discern when is, when is it time to cry, when is it time to, to laugh and dance. But it is a gift, even in the hard seasons. Life is a gift. Instead of saying, seize the day, we should say, receive the day. God has given us this day. You know, your life is not a to-do list of things to get done. It is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Your life is not a to-do list. I cannot tell you how biblical it is to simply enjoy the life God has given you. It says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God has done it so that people before him, fear before him. Now, here is a unlock a key that's going to unlock a lot of things in Ecclesiastes. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and challenge you to highlight the word, the words fear God throughout the entire book. Today, we're just going to touch on it, but in the coming weeks, this is going to be a big player because fear God unlocks a lot in Ecclesiastes. We talk about going under the sun, and then the, the kind of the counter to that is fearing God. When it breaks down, this is what Solomon says. He says, you should fear God. That means respect God. And we're going to get into all the things it means. But the number one thing it means is, of all the things you worried about, you should probably not worry about. God is in control of the seasons. God is in, you should not worry as much about a crazy debate or how things or politics are going here. There's something much more important that you should be spending a lot more time tweeting about, a lot more time praying and thinking about. And that is, there is a God in control of everything. 
This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body and throw it into hell. That's uh, Matthew chapter 10, by the way, verse 28. But he says, listen, you're fearing the wrong thing if you're worried about your day-to-day. There is something much more important. This life is a gift, and it's given to God, and so your job is to fear God. He's the one that's going to give you this gift. That which is already has already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the last thing on this idea that, God is a, that, that life is a gift. You know, some of us have been driven away by hard seasons. We've been driven away from God thinking, God, why is this happening to me? You would, if you love me, you wouldn't do this. And if that's a perspective problem. We can't see from beginning to end. We don't know what he's doing. He's doing something beautiful. He promises us that. But I love this verse that just says, by the way, not only is life a gift, but if you've been driven away, God seeks those who have been driven away. Your life is not random. It is a gift, and God is seeking. An all-powerful God is seeking those who have been driven away, who have driven to live under the sun. So life is a gift, but the next thing I want you to see is that life is a test. Life is a test. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. How many of us have felt that lately? There's this wickedness when there should be justice. There's this wickedness when there should be good things happening. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. There's a time for every matter and for every work. And I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beast. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. All is hevel, all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust and to dust all return. For who knows whether the spirit of a man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better that, can, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what, is, what will be after him? See, here's what's going on. He, he, he's telling us, you know, when we live life under the sun, sometimes we live life under the sun, and we get this perspective that, you know what, none of this matters. It, we all die. We're all going to just go into the ground and just be dust And he says, but there's a problem with that is that I see injustice. I look around and I see these things that are injustice. And if I'm going to see the injustice and the things that I don't think are fair, he says, in 17, he says, I've got to believe that God will eventually set this right, that God will judge and set this right. Because here's what he's trying to make you see. There are only two ways to look at life. Either God is in control of the seasons and he's given life as a gift and he is eternally, he's going to set things right, or God does not exist And all of this is vanity. It doesn't matter. Injustice will never be solved. It will never be set right. You have two ways you can live, is what he's saying. You can accept this gift and say, God has given me this life, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to put my faith. I'm going to trust him that he's going to set this right. Or I'm going to live like like I'm just an animal. I'm just an animal. When I die, I'll go in to. And he's making the point. It's all faith. 
Nobody knows. The atheist does not know if God exists any more than the Christ follower knows what happens a second after we die. It's all a decision we've got to make. We've got to decide, am I going to live my life believing like he does in verse 17 of saying, I I believe God's going to set this right. Or am I going to live my life as if, you know what, it's all just unfair. It's all just hevel. It's going to go away and we're all just going to go into the ground. But we both, no matter what you, you choose, no matter how you decide to live, you're making a choice is what he's saying. It's a test. It's a test that we have to decide. So here's what I want you to say. What does this leave us? He gives us this question, and it seems like it's a despair. He leaves us hanging, and he'll do this sometimes. Who can bring us to see what will be after him? But of course, if you read between the lines, there's an answer to that question, right? There's a subtext there. Who's the only one who can know if there is something after you die? God. God's the only answer is if, if anyone can know. So he asked this question that, that seems rhetorical. It seems as if there's no answer, but there is an answer. And in fact, I'll tell you, Jesus, he answered this even better. That's why it's so much better to live now than if you're reading this, you know, if, if you got this straight out of uh, Barnes and Nobles when Ecclesiastes came, came out, you would be like, I don't know the answer. I guess God could answer that someday. We have the answer. This is what Jesus said in John 14. His disciples were confused because they didn't know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Talking about his, his, his death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what Jesus is saying. There is one way to follow God. There is one way to know for sure that you will live forever, that you will be in the presence of God. And that is through him. You see, there is injustice all over the world. And if you believe God is going to set that right, the problem is, is that some of us have made the injustice. But Jesus says, listen, I have made a way. And if you come through me, I I have paid the debt. The Old Testament calls it, I have atoned. I have covered your sins. I have made sure that injustice is dealt with. Jesus makes this clear. But you need to understand, faith is a choice. Your faith is a choice. Everybody has faith. You're either living your life right now as if God doesn't exist, as if you're just going to go into the ground when you die, or you're living your life as if you will be held accountable for the things you do, as if you have a little fear of God. Faith is a choice, and we all have to decide where we're going to put our faith. So Jesus says, when you put that faith, when you place that faith in me, you can know. So the question we have then is, what are you living for? How are you living? Are you living with a fear of God of, you know what, God is in control of all these seasons rather than getting overwhelmed by the political season or or the pandemic season or or just the season of life. I'm going to discern God is doing something here because ultimately I know God is in control and he has given me this life as a gift. So I'm going to receive the good times and the hard times. I'm going to live them as if God's in control. I'm going to put my faith as if God's in control. But I'm also going to understand this is a test. This is a test. You see, this life is preparation for eternity. God has made us to live forever with him. So this life is preparation for eternity. And therefore, my faith is a choice. How I live is a choice. I want to just challenge you to write down one thing 
that you're being challenged with as you go through this book of Ecclesiastes, some thing that you're being challenged that drives you towards the fear of God and away from living a life of heaven, living a life under the sun. And just write that down if you're taking notes and, and, and begin to revisit that. Maybe you write it in your Bible at the end of verse 3 of, you know what, I need to do, I need to take a next step. For some of us, we need to trust Jesus. That needs to be your next step. You need to trust Jesus. You're, he's the only way. But some of us need to say, you know what, I need to go all in. If there's really nothing else to fear, if Jesus is the only way and there's nothing else to fear except for God himself, I need to go all in with my faith. Maybe you need to join a group if you're not connected in a group and say, maybe you've been kind of, uh, groups are okay. You need to get connected in a church to where you can be a part of the body and you can begin to grow in your faith because you've placed it, you might as well use it. Maybe you're just deciding, you know what, I need to get serious with, uh, with knowing God and reading the Bible more. I need to get serious with some of the sins and struggles that I just kind of say that's not a big deal. If it's true, God is going to make all things right. Understand that we are sinners. We are at the front who need his mercy. So my challenge to us today is when you begin to go through these hard times, hopefully that will lead you to a time where you say, you know what, this isn't just random happening to me. I know God is in control of the seasons. I know he sees more than I see. But there are two things I hold to. This life is a gift this life is a test, and on my test, I'm going to pass that test by putting my faith in God and not in the heaven, not in nothing. Connection Point Church, I hope that this begins a, a day of discernment for you where you begin to anticipate a season of freedom, a season of breakthrough, a season of great things on the way for you. Let's pray. Lord, we lift you up. We lift you up because without you, we have no hope. Without you, there is no meaning. Without you, there is no purpose. Without you, there is no justice. Without you, there is no goodness. Lord, as we look at the world and the news, it gets crazier and crazier and worse and worse every day. Lord, help us to take our eyes out from under the sun and look to you and understand this is nothing new to you. You, you plan the first day just like you've planned the last, and you are in control of all things. So, Lord, let us discern. Give us eyes of discernment. Give us eyes of anticipation, expecting hope, expecting better things in the, in the coming times. We know if we look on this earth, things aren't ever going to look as if they're getting better. But when we look to you, we know we have an all-powerful God in control who with his breath can create. So, Lord, let us look to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.